You are listening to episode 146 of the Tennis Files podcast. The top 10 takeaways from Tennis Summit 2020. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mehrban Iranshad. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files podcast. My name is Mirban Aranshad, a former Division I college tennis player. And on the show, I interview the world's top pros, coaches, and experts to help you improve your tennis game. And I recently did a live stream with my good friend Peter Freeman. And um, what I did was I accumulated the top 10 takeaways from Tennis Summit 2020, which as you've heard of by now, uh, we got uh, around 13,700 odd people to attend. And it was a pretty amazing event. Uh, really happy with the outcome and its impact. Um, but we had some ma- amazing coaches on there. And so you're going to hear some really fantastic tips, really helpful tips on this particular episode from Dr. Mark Kovacs, Peter Freeman, Gigi Fernandez, Greg Lasser, uh, Faisal Hassan, Jeff Salzenstein, Rick Macy, Will Hamilton, Paul Anacone, and Dean Hollingworth. Uh, but these tips will actually be in my own voice. So I will be giving them uh, to you. And uh, we actually, so as I mentioned, we recorded this session live, uh, Pete and I, and we took some uh, questions from the audience as well. And I figured that this would be a really great episode to include on the podcast just because of you know the nature of it where I basically went through all of the summit sessions and picked out 10 really really good pieces of advice to help you level up your game and uh, pretty much all of these um, pieces of advice can be implemented and and you know worked on even if you are at home and can't go to a tennis court. So that's one misconception. You know, I just got an email earlier today uh, from somebody who said, oh, I can't participate. Uh, I, I can't send a video because I can't get on a court. And, you know, that's definitely not the case. You can always be practicing at home from shadow swinging, which is amazing, to working out, etc. So I don't want to give away, you know, all the information from <laughs> the episode. But um, so what I'll do is I will run that session for you back and you will learn my top 10 takeaways from Tennis Summit 2020 based on, you know, these over 30 of these sessions with these amazing coaches. So which I'm very grateful to have had on the summit again. And uh, yeah, so without further ado, here is the episode on the top 10 takeaways from Tennis Summit 2020. But so I want to get into these uh, these top 10 tips of mine. And obviously, Pete will chime in as well. And I really appreciate Pete joining in. As I, as I said, I have great respect for Pete and you know all the hard work he's doing. It's incredible. So uh, I just want to get into the first one for you. And what that is, is loading the back leg. 
And this is a tip that I got from Dr. Mark Kovacs. And uh, as you can tell, I'm, you know, I have some notes here, but um, I think a lot of people don't load the back leg enough. Um, if you look at a lot of amateur tennis players, what they're doing is that you'll see a lot of the weight um, primarily on their front leg. And so, you know, it's on their front leg and then they're trying to propel into the ball. So there's no weight shift from the back to the front. And you hear the, the, the uh, famous phrase, uh, load and explode. And, and so the key to really a great serve, um, you know, as proven scientifically by, by people like Dr. Mark Kovacs is to load the, the back leg. And his presentation was awesome. Um, he, he, he included uh, a couple exercises for all of you to do to, um, to, to be able to better load the back leg. And as proof, I actually tried one of his drills where you actually lift your front leg so you're on your back leg and then you serve. And mm. I actually found that I hit a more powerful and balanced serve with one leg, with my only my back leg. And so um, I just want to highly encourage you all to, to check out that presentation. If you have the all access pass, you can check it out anytime you want. And uh, to really load it, to load the back leg. And then that way you're going to have a lot of power on your serve. So, Pete, I'm uh, just curious. You know, you're also a master of, of sir, of you know, teaching a, the serve, and you, you, what's that? I'm a master of load. You anyway, are. You're you're master of load. So, guys, it's interesting that he was saying that because I'm doing this 30 day tennis technique and fitness challenge where people are saying their videos, and I'm seeing one after the next. It's it's interesting. You know, you can hear something but not get it. So, I want to make sure you really get it because. The people are sending in their videos. They're getting set. They're, they're really focused on their non, you know, on their upper body. So they're usually getting here to nice unit turn. But look how much I'm standing up. And when you use your legs, what he's talking about is really load, not just bend, but actually feel like you're coming backwards a little bit too. Like look at the difference of power. If I'm coming here from here, lots of people just set like this. And then they go and they hit. And they're just doing this. Right. But if I'm coming and I'm going way back here, look at the power that I can really bring. Like you see, I'm almost like attacking the computer now. Yeah, and the same thing with the serve, too. You know, you can use your legs and just kind of go back, rock back a little bit and then start to really transfer to the front leg. Or you can really load way back here, get down like you're going to sit in a chair. That, that's basically the probably the, the biggest tip is whether you're going to hit a forehand you want to pretend that you got to sit back in a chair when you're going to serve. You want to pretend like you got to sit back in a chair and really use that to shoot yourself up. So I just wanted to illustrate Maribon's point there so that you really understood how important that is and that I'm getting video proof all the time on a daily basis that people are not actually doing that. And yeah, Brad, oh my gosh, ouch. He's saying, what's your two, two legs serve like? But no, seriously, I mean, like if you're not properly loading – um, you know, with two legs. And in, in a lot of cases, you, you you might have a better serve with one leg. And so at one point, I was definitely finding the issue with me was that I was like too much on my front leg uh, when I was serving. So once I made that adjustment, kept practicing it, um, then obviously, you know, now the two leg serve is, is uh, has more power than the one leg. But uh, definitely highly encourage you to practice this because we see that with a lot of players for sure. Uh, that's a big issue. So uh, number two, if uh, if I can go into that, Pete is actually comes from you. Um, so I, I checked out. Um, I made the list. You did. Yeah. So I checked out uh, Peter's uh, fantastic session on the perfect serve practice. 
And what I really like is how he really provides you um, with direction. And specifically, one of the things that Pete mentioned was um, actually practicing your serve under pressure. And so it's really cool and, and fun, too, to actually implement these serve games where what Pete did is he put a towel on the court and then you have to decide, you know, which side of the towel, which side of the box do I want to serve on. And then you practice your serve. And then um, if you make the serve on the side that you've decided to hit the serve on, then you actually win the point. And uh, if you don't make it, on, then you lose the point. So say you you make a serve, 15 love, then you miss the serve, but you hit it on the wrong side or out or in the net, and it's 15 all and so forth. And so you play games like this. And this really helps out, I feel, and proven by Pete you know, and his players that uh, it'll help you serve under pressure It'll help your serve direction immensely because, of course, there's even, um, the, you know, some players who will go out and not really focus on their placement at all. So I really like this drill um, from Pete, among many of the other things that was in that video on the perfect serve practice, like um, putting down towels and serving and that'll help with your balance and everything. So, Pete, uh, I don't know if you have any other input on on that uh, particular part of your presentation. I've got a lot of input. Okay. <laughs> So Maribon's talking about this is this is a service box right here, okay? And so you would take some tennis balls, and you're not trying to actually hit the tennis balls. You're actually trying to make your your tennis ball, your serve land in between the line and this area. Like this could be a target. And so you can either give yourself two tries or one try. Like you have to make it like either every time or two in a row or one out of two, however you want to do it. And and, uh, and when you do that, you win a point. And so the idea of practicing under pressure is so huge. And um, again, we started tonight with the Chicago Bulls because I binge watched the last dance last night. And it's basically about the Chicago Bulls last season. And it reminded me of actually this kind of way of practicing in that I'm not telling you guys to go practice like a professional athlete and to absolutely torture yourself but I think also we have like our practice over here and then we got our matches over here and we feel great in practice because often we don't add that much, um, you know, pressure to it for lack of a better, you know, we don't add that much pressure to it. We're not nervous. We're not uh, scared of the outcome a little bit. And when you look at any sports team that has done great things, they're afraid to go to practice. Like the practice is a lot of times harder than the game. You know, everybody on that team who played with Michael Jordan said every practice, Michael Jordan brought it. But even the scarier part was there was no one who could take a day off because, like, he's working so hard. And, and if I slack at all, he's going to be all over me. So they were, like, nervous in practice. So when they go out there and play at the highest level, you know, th that's that's not so bad. It's probably worse to get browbeaten by Michael Jordan, right, where he's yelling at you in practice than it would be even in a game because he probably – you know, has to hold stuff back for the cameras. So what I like to do is with that drill is to come up with a number, like I've got to make eight out of 10 or seven out of 10 or whatever it is. And then also give myself a punishment. Now it could be as simple as I'm going to do 10 jumping jacks, just so you know, you have some consequence or you might like really, you know, if you want to get yourself, you're like, I have to sprint to the end of the fence and back five times in a row, you know, so you feel that pressure and then you know that you're executing under pressure. So add that to your practice. Fantastic, Pete. 
All right, number three. Um, this is something that is is huge uh, for for players, and we we had the legendary Gigi Fernandez on the summit, and I've had her on my podcast too, and so she has won seventeen Grand Slams. So I really think that we should definitely listen to what she's talking about. And so on her session, which she actually had one session on, I believe Tuesday, and then also we did a live session, which was super popular, just like Pete's. And so we talked about volleys and and you know some big mistakes that players are making and one big one and i'm sure pete can attest to this is that uh, a lot of players are are taking their their rackets too far back and so volleys are supposed to be short and compact and see i see uh pete's uh confirming that they have to be short and compact i mean the first and most obvious thing is when you're taking it back like that then you have a lot less time so as you when you play for example players who are ripping the ball um, you're going to catch the the volley very late, right? And uh, you you know one other thing with with uh, with the volley that that Gigi mentioned too is it's it's not it's not a ground stroke. You know you don't want to be you don't want to be coiling like you're hitting a forehand or a backhand. And something interesting that you said said too is that it's almost like you're really you're not trying to hit the ball per se like on a ground stroke. You're really trying to let, let the ball come to the racket and then uh, you know in a sense pushing it. So. Um, that, that was one great tip that Gigi gave us. And, and when we analyzed volleys together, which was super cool, uh, we actually, uh, we asked my audience to, uh, for five volunteers to send in their volleys, uh, video clips of their volleys. And within five, within 10 minutes, we had like 20 entries. So it was already done, but that was one of the biggest thing we found on, on the volleys. It just, the take backs were too big. So Pete, any, uh, any thoughts on that? One thing that I have talked about, and I think that this is one thing that, that tennis pros have kind of messed up, so I'm glad Gigi was talking about it, is that the first move is so key. And, and usually what you're taught is the first move on a volley is to turn your shoulders. We see, if I'm doing that, if the net's this way, and I'm just naturally gotten this habit of it's a shoulder turn move, look how far my racket's starting back. So I've got to go all this way just to get out in front. If someone you know, hits a bullet at me and my natural response is always this, then this. Now I'm hitting a lot of late volleys. And when you're hitting late volleys, most of the time your racket face is too open. Like that ball is going to go way out. You see that? That's your trajectory it's going to go on. So you want to think of yourself more like a shortstop and your hands are right here. You don't want to be way out here, right in here, bent, but it's still out away from the rib cage. And what you want to think about is that you've got your first move, you're really good with your hands, Right. So, you, so if someone hits the ball really hard at you, you can just be here and do that, right? It's coming hard, that. Now, if it's coming slower and you want to put a little pop on it, you can go here, then turn the shoulders and pop, okay? But get really good at just moving the hand, moving the hand. So be relaxed here, not holding the racket too tight. Relax so you can catch, relax so you can catch, and then pop through. Uh, awesome. Thanks as, as always for your input there, Pete. Love it. And, um, so number four, uh, I really love this session. I mean, Greg Lasour from online tennis instruction, he really brings some great quality stuff every year. I mean, you know, all the people that I pick, I try to bring back the best ones. And that's why you see Pete obviously, um, and rotate a bit, but Greg, uh, really great stuff. And he, his, uh, session was actually on, serve returns and what i really liked about his session which i believe was on tuesday as well is he showed you both how you, you're supposed to operate on returns with regards to your footwork and then also 
your um, your your arm, your your take back unit turn, and so forth, the upper body, uh, I should say. And so, what I really liked about um, you know the overall concept here is that you really need to practice your um, serve return footwork, um, and he gives you a really great step by step guide on exact footwork that you need to have great great returns. And I'll just summarize it, which the way he he, he describes it is to um, you have one step forward, you split, and then you want to pivot out in the direction of the ball. And believe it or not, uh, I do see a lot of players who are not following this step-by-step process for hitting returns. And what, what happens when you don't have good return footwork, you don't, especially that split step, um, then you're, you're going to be on the defensive, you're, you're going to hit balls late, um, you're going to be you're having your weight falling backwards, which then, especially in doubles, that's a huge telltale sign for for the net player if they're savvy enough to just just go and poach and pick off an easy ball that doesn't have much on it. And um, and on top of that, too, um, you know, I just want to mention that he talks about again a very compact take back on the return, obviously, because you already have a lot of speed coming towards you, and you don't want to hit the ball late. So, um, you know, so this is kind of a. a I don't think this is the right word, um, but like a emulgation. Emulg- no, that's not right. A uh, combination of like the footwork and and the upper body work. But I, I really think on the whole that people are not practicing the serve return enough. And this is a great time to to practice um, these sorts of things through shadow swinging and and your footwork at home. And it's very easy to do. Um, you just have to be consistent. And if you haven't yet, you really need to check out Greg Lasour's. Uh, serve return session. So any thoughts on that, Pete? It's very good. Well, first of all, Maribon's serious when he says he only brings back the best. Every time that we have one of these each year, he gets us all in a room and he has like a rose ceremony, except for he hands out rackets. And if you get a racket, you get to come back. And if you don't get a racket, you don't get invited <laughs> back to the tennis summit. And this year, interestingly enough, Paul Anacone on the chopping block just made it just (laughs) okay all right i do i do have something first of all what he's saying about practicing the return of serve is so important the footwork because everybody takes it for granted you really don't think about it being footwork technique and it totally is it totally is and i see a lot of people they're staying too straight up and so then they get blown back real easy so you want to you want to get down here again kind of like the shortstop or or just kind of i also think about the the return of serve like you're a cornerback in the uh, NFL and someone's coming, like a running back's running at you and you're not the biggest guy, but you got you got to get low to the ground and, and attack and tackle this football player running at you. Because, you know, that serve is coming at you very aggressively. And if you're in a passive stance and you want more time because it's coming so fast, you want to keep waiting, give yourself more time. Does this look familiar? This is when you end up hitting late. What you want to do is treat the offense with your own offense, but be short and compact. So you want to get down here and get the mindset like this is coming at me fast, but I'm going to go to it too. And that's where that that uh, step forward happens. So as I see the toss getting ready to go up and leave the hand, this is where I'm going to take my step forward. And then right before the ball is hit, right is going to be hit out of the racket. This is what I'm going to split. And then especially if someone's got a good serve, it's a bang, bang play. And then the big no-no, and we kind of talked about this in the volley, is lots of people treat the return of serve like a ground stroke. To me, it's in between a ground stroke and a half volley. 
So you want to make sure that, as Greg Lasor said, you're always going out to the side right here of whatever side it's coming to. Once you land, you want to land and be here. If you treat it like a regular ground stroke where it's racket back, step forward and hit, that's way too much movement and you're not going to be in time. You're going to be hitting back here and in a fight with the ball. But if you're here, here, and then there through, now you can take all that power and put it right back on your opponent and go, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, man, you remind me of the Kool-Aid man. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for that. I love it. Love the enthusiasm. It's amazing. So one presentation that just wowed a lot of people, I actually got multiple emails on this that said, that this was the best presentation they had watched in 30 years. Um, I guess they hadn't watched Pete's presentation, <laughs> but but still, you know, it people have different needs and so forth. But this one was about watching the ball by Faisal Hassan, uh, USPT A Pro. And that illustrates what you're seeing by Pete is that you know, a lot of times you'll hear coaches and players, whoever, to say watch the ball, right? But then what does that mean? Okay. And Faisal did an amazing job of breaking down uh, what this means. And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to sit for like 40 minutes and break it down like all the way like he did, obviously, because he had a lot of accompanying drills and many little points about it and so forth. But what he talks about is three main elements, which is tracking the ball, which is the ball is coming toward you, zooming in on the ball when the ball bounces on your side to when you hit it, and then scanning the opponent. So when when the ball is coming towards the opponent, you actually want to be scanning the opponent and not the ball so that you can pick up, um, as he calls it, the four P's, which are postures, position, preparation, and patterns. And so when somebody says, you are you know, you need to watch the ball, the great thing about the, the presentation from Faisal is you can figure out, okay, what part of this tracking, zooming, or scanning am I having trouble with? Is it the tracking when the ball is coming towards me? Then there's specific drills and things you can do to help with that is the part of the, the watching the ball that you're having trouble with the zooming in when the ball bounces to when you have to hit it. If so, there's drills for that. Again, that's all in the presentation from Faisal Hassan um, on day two. Or do you have uh, some sort of trouble uh, when the ball uh, is going towards your opponent? Maybe you're watching the ball too much and not the opponent. So you're missing out on all these cues. So this is an amazing way, I think, and a lot of people thought, on how to break down what watching the ball is, figuring out which part of this three-part phase am I having trouble with, and then narrowing in on that one phase, or maybe it's multiple, but in a lot of cases, there's one phase that's giving you the most trouble with, and to work on that phase. And so I thought that was really, really good. And um, yeah, that that's an amazing presentation you also check out. So uh, Pete, what do you think? I think it's great, and I, th I think, to answer your question, I think most people, the problem becomes on watching the other side and knowing what's about to happen, okay? I think as tennis players, we get what's called sucker punched too much. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, someone punched you like, oh, I, ne I never even saw that coming. Well, that's what we have happen in tennis. And, and sucker punching doesn't just necessarily mean that someone hit like a winner right by you. Like probably the biggest sucker punch in tennis is when someone hits a weak ball and it bounces twice and two times in front of you and you never even ran for it. It's not even a drop shot. It's just like a bad shot on their end that you really should have, instead of you saying, oh, that was so lucky, you should have recognized that, that that was about to be short even before they hit it. 
and you just be up there like, you know, clean up, clean up the point. And so what you got to start thinking of is that you're like a boxer. Okay. And you got to be acutely aware of the dance that you're in with your opponent and the position that your hits are giving them. Like whenever I'm hitting a shot, I like to think about it like a punch in boxing. And as I'm my mindset of what I want to do with the ball. And then as I'm hitting it, I'm like saying to myself, like, oh yeah, like I connected. This is a golden hit. So after this comes through and comes off my racket, like really pay attention to them to see if I hurt them. You know, if I see them get a late start to the ball, I might cheat in a step or two. You know, if I hit a great shot and I look up and I'm excited and all of a sudden I see them and they're in good balance. Now I figure, oh, that was a great shot by me, but didn't hurt my opponent. Right. So I'm probably just going to be in a neutral rally. So really pay attention to the other side. Really, for me, it happens, especially when I'm able to give the first blow on the serve. I'm looking, and as I'm connecting with that serve, I'm thinking, how good is this serve as it's hitting? How good is it feel off the racket? You know, is it going to go to a corner and hit a line? If all those things are happening, yes, in my head, I'm really looking to see if I hurt them right away because then I might cheat in and take advantage. I might even turn a play that I wasn't playing on certain volley. I might just do a sneak attack certain volley. So I think that's a huge skill that a lot of players can get much better at. Love it. Awesome, Pete. Thank you again for that. How about this question, Pete? So why are there more baseline players than all-court players? I have some thoughts, but I'll let you go first. That's a great question. You know, I actually think nowadays, I think it's transitioned. You know, I think it went from, like, Borg was definitely a baseliner, right? And then you had the 80s, well, even in the 70s, I, I, Borg was kind of an outlier, right? There was a lot of certain values. Well, there's lots of different styles in the 70s and 80s, but especially when the 80s got in the late 80s, early 90s, it became like serve and volley, power tennis. The average point was less than a second. So that's when they started to really slow everything down. It's like, this, this is not good. Like, no points are happening. It's like when Michael Steak and Krychek were just pounding big serves and balls couldn't come back. I think now, actually, I think our tennis players don't get the credit they deserve. I think they are, are almost all awkward players. Whenever any of them see uh, a weakness, they're going to the net. I mean, think about think about Sissy Paz. He takes advantage of when he sees something, he'll come in. Um, Dominic Thiem is not afraid to come in, and you he's lots of times eight feet behind the baseline. We know Roger Federer is an all-court player. Rafael Nadal, you, he plays eight feet behind the baseline. You give him any kind of short ball, he can come to the net and volley fantastically. I think there's a lot more all-court players than we actually um, give them credit for. Yeah, for sure, Pete. For sure. Um, I can't think of any player on the tour who has a terrible volley. Maybe Zarev did for a while, but that's even gotten better. But there's not too many players like, oh, my God, their volleys are pitiful, like they're embarrassing. They're technically solid all over the place. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean – that's interesting. You know, with me, I actually was uh, primarily a baseliner. I just developed this sort of um, play where I was kind of more passive and just trying to grind, you know, 100 balls and trying to make my opponents miss. And, you know, obviously with the racket technology nowadays, it's easier to just sit back rather than be more aggressive. So I guess a lot of people like to hang out back and, um, you know, it takes a lot of, you know, thinking and strategy to, to actually um, properly move up and and uh, and win the point like that. So um, that that could be one reason well, why. 
And I heard Troy say no serve and volley, though. There are from time to time. But I think it's going to be tough with the court services being slowed down. I think it's going to be hard to get a pure serve and volley who can win tournaments like weekend and week out like Edberg could do, like McEnroe could do. And, you know, a big difference is, and I got to, to talk to a lot of the Australian pros, and they say, you know, back in our day, you couldn't run out with a wooden racket and just – you know, tap a ball and hit it, you know, 100 miles an hour across court winner. You know, you just you just couldn't do that. The rackets did not allow for that. So like to serve volley, you know, if, if you hit a good shot and you made someone stretch, you were going to get a volley above your waist to where you could have a good look. Nowadays, I mean, how many times have you seen a great point constructed by a professional tennis player and they they get almost punished for coming to the net with, with a pro like sliding getting here, just flicks the wrist hard, and they hit like, you know, a banana shot down the line or even a cross-court shot. And so it is a – you do have to be a lot more selective on what you come in on today. I don't think it's that the pros have less skill at the net. I think any pro today, like, even if you look at McEnroe towards the end of his career, one of the best firmers of all time, and he had – you know, an Agassi was hitting returns at him, like – he had no chance against that ball. He had never seen anything like that. So I, I think that that is uh, why you don't see, why you don't see so many certain volleyers like point in and point out for the full match. Yeah, exactly, Pete. And uh, yeah, we've got some questions actually on uh, you know name a servant volleyer on the women's side. Isn't Stozier a servant volleyer? Samantha Stozier. She did like to serve and volley. Now, as far as is this like any time or like right now? I mean, there's not really a, a, a pure serve volleyer. You know, Barty might do it sometimes. There's, yeah. you know, the, what, what's become the new serve volley is the serve plus one. The serve yes. is huge. They get a shot in the middle of the court. They take a huge advantage of the point. They either win it on that or they come to the net, you know, or, or the person defends it well and they get in their, to a rally. And, you know, but back in my day, there was a lot of the serve plus one for many people was the serve volley play. Um, Martina Navratilova, pure serve and volley. First, second serve. She was all over the net. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Yeah, for sure. For sure. We're uh, just highlighting our friend, Scott Baxter. Scotty! Scotty! Beam me up, Scotty. Um, yeah, everyone check out Player Court, by the way. A great site to, uh, to connect with um, both players and also coaches. Um, Scott's awesome. And so, yeah. Ooh, Taylor Townsend. That's a good one. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Totally stumped. And she had a good run at where where she had the good run at? Was it the US Open last year? I want to say that. Yeah, I think so. But again, it's hard to win week in and week out. You see, she was able to do it, just kind of like shock some people. But I think once you kind of get used to that rhythm and you 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 know what's coming, uh, she came from out of left field. She had a lot you know, injuries, really tough time. She got hot, she got some confidence. Players didn't see it, you know, but once you kind of get used to it, that's where you can just get tattooed on the tour today. Yeah, for sure, Pete, for sure. 
Um, let's see. Okay. Uh, oh, another good one. Uh, did we say Yana Novotna? That was good too. Um, so, okay, cool. I'm going to go to the next one. So this was a great session too. I, I really like that we've added some point analysis sessions this year. Um, I think we might've had only one or last year maybe, but we, we had some more this year. And one of them was by Jeff Salzenstein, uh, who reached the top 100 on the ATP tour, famously played Michael Chang and took a set off of him in the US Open. And so um, Jeff uh, talked about single strategy. He analyzed two top 400 players in the world playing against each other. And believe it or not, there were mistakes made strategically by these players, even though, I mean, at top 400, you're an amazing player. Um, not that much separates you, believe it or not, you know, between, you know, top 400 and top 100. But um, so anyway, what they what Jeff pointed out was that you really have to be smart and play their percentages with your serve plus one. And so what uh, what Jeff showed us was a point where um, one of the players, he hit a very nice slice serve out wide and it took the returner off the court. The returner uh, returned a short ball um, on the right on the forehand side of the server. And then what the server did was he tried to play it too fancy and he actually hit a forehand back cross court and he didn't even hit it like wide enough of an angle. So he basically tried to outsmart the opponent as he thought and uh, the opponent just had a forehand pass. And so uh, I just want to point this out to illustrate, uh, again, that, you know, you want to play the percentages um, and you don't want to be too fancy in a lot of cases. Uh, you know, obviously, it's sometimes it's, it's, it's good to try to hit behind your opponent. But in this case, um, the server would have had a huge high percentage of, of winning if he had just approached down the line and made the opponent on the deuce side run all the way from the, the sideline to hit a running backhand pass. Instead, he gave him a forehand and, and he didn't have to move as much. So I think, uh, as you know, it was a great segue by Pete, really, about the serve plus one being the new serve and volley. Um, but just overall, really think about the percentages, especially when you're playing at the club level. You do not have to do all these fancy plays. Um, you just really have to nail down the basics and uh, do some other things as we'll get into actually with the next tip I'm looking at. And uh, and that way you'll you'll be in great shape to play the basics. My coach always used to tell me whenever we were having trouble, when I played uh, D1 college tennis, he said, go back to the basics. And that is going to be the key for 95% of you to be winning your matches. So, uh, Pete, what do you think about that? You know, my coach used to tell me when we were in trouble. Oh, what's that? Cheat. Oh my God. I don't believe it. You're too honorable, I'm, sir. I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> but you know, I've lost so many matches on overthinking a shot on the big point. And so I just kind of want to leave you with this. Think about it. Like you're taking a multiple uh, choice test and you know what teachers always tell you, like go with your first instinct and just trust it and go with that. It's like when you like leave an answer and like, no, no, no. Right? And you erase it and then you put the other one down. Then you get the test back. Oh my God, I was right the first time. Just go with your first, most obvious instinct. Like when you see that, don't question it because lots of times we overthink it. And that is so true. I agree. I'm yeah. done. Awesome. Yeah, I was just typing to, to Mitchell. Uh, hopefully I typed that properly, but he was just asking, you know, what the surplus one is. And, you know, that's just as you're, you know, as a server, you serve it and then your next shot after that, which, you know, after when yeah. you get to the It's turn. basically you got a cannon serve and a cannon forehand, like, that's it. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's what so I try to do. Just go do that. 
yeah, easy peasy, right? Yeah. Uh, but that, that's really what Roddick did. Roddick, I mean, you see his back end wasn't the greatest, but I mean, he got the number one in the world through this, the serve plus one, you know, the big forehand. I've got a serve plus 30 play. I serve it in and then I go, do, do, do. Wow. That's 30 shots till they miss. That's tough to beat. You know, I've seen uh, Pete, uh, you know, in full full body. Uh, oh, that sounded weird. But anyway, he's in good shape, man. He, he looks like he's in good shape. <laughs> Stop. Get to the next point. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We got to have fun here. All right. So the next uh, point that I was alluding to is by Rick Macy. So Rick Macy is a legend. He's coached, I think, five or six number one players, you know, like Venus and Serena Williams and Andy Roddick. All right. Yeah, Sharapova. Not too bad, you know. And, uh, you know, I think we've, we've talked about this before, but Pete actually went to Rick Macy's academy. And I love Rick. He's awesome. And so uh, Pete got a lesson from from uh, Rick. It cost $500 an hour. I don't know if it's gone up since then. Um, so obviously, uh, very valuable to get some of Rick's time. And we got a lot of time for him from him on the summit. And so... Uh, you know, I know Pete, uh, Rick worked on your forehand some. You know, there's always things you can learn. I mean, Pete's a great player, but still picked up things from Rick. And, uh, and yeah, so Rick is a legend. And Rick talked about a lot about the mental aspect of the game. We had him on the strategy session, but a lot of great mental nuggets. And what he talked about was that winning is really having control of your mind and thinking about the match of one point at a time. And what you need to do, and this is very powerful, you control the situation. The con- situation doesn't control you, or you shouldn't let it control you. And, you know, it's a very familiar situation for club players, you know, anybody to come upon a situation, ask yourself if this has happened. You you go out and you play a player where your strokes are way better looking than them. It mm. looks like, oh, God, the forehand is ugly. The backhand, how did they even get it over the net? The serve you know, all sorts of things going on, hitches and so forth. And then you come out of the match and you lost two and two, as Rick put it, and you wonder what happened. And that's, in his word, it's because your opponent has a better attitude. They're outworking you. They have the drive to get more balls back than you. And really, it comes down to that a lot of times. And so, you know, don't get frustrated. In Rick's words, you really, you have to flip it. And by flip it, it means flip your attitude. And so you have to be the one to say, you know what, I'm going to take the initiative, I'm going to be positive, and I'm going to control what I can control and let go of the rest, and I'm going to outwork my opponent and do everything I can. And uh, I know this is, you know, it sounds and it is motivational, but it really is the truth. And so I know when my best matches have been when I have had this attitude of this grittiness you know, we in, in college, our mascot was True Grit. And so we just tried our best to really put it in, put in the work and the effort. And even if we were down 6-0, 5-0, we're still putting in the work. Uh, I remember one match, actually, where I had that feeling, actually. And it was funny. My opponent pissed me off. You know, he was up 6-1, 5-2 in the zonals, which was like the top 10 players in juniors. They go and play different sections. And so I was like seven in the mid-Atlantic or whatever. And so I played this guy, I was, I was losing, and then he did something that ticked me off. And I said, you know what? I am not going to let another ball pass me. And when I did that, um, it was just amazing. Like something flipped and I was just outworking him and I came back and I won. And at the end of that match, he actually took three of his rackets and cracked them one by one, just like you saw 
uh, who's the, the Greek player, uh, Pete, or Cy- from Cyprus? Uh, Baghdadis, right? Baghdadis, yeah. Yeah, and my opponent did that. And, you know, it was a great feeling for me. Not that I was happy that he broke his rackets. Oh, well, you were too. Come on. <laughs> I, I plead the fifth. I'm, I'm an attorney. I plead the fifth. So, but um, in any case, uh, it's just really uh, just one example. Uh, and there are better examples out there of, of just, you know, having that mindset, you know, of whether I win or lose, I'm going to execute one ball at a time, control what I can control. And I love this advice from Mick, Rick Macy. And if you haven't yet, you, you need to watch that presentation. Uh, it was really great stuff. And I heard somebody said that, you know, he skipped all the uh, talking head presentations, and that's totally fine. But I think you're making a mistake if you skip uh, interviews like the ones with, uh, with, with Rick Macy and Paul Anacone because those are the best in the game. And, you know, sometimes they don't have the time to, like, put forth like an encore presentation and stuff. You know, they're super busy. Paul Anacone is a commentator for Tennis Channel. Rick Macy is teaching many, many hours a day. He's running an academy, but um, there's a lot of golden nuggets. And sometimes it's the mindset pieces and the strategy pieces that you don't even need to look at uh, a lesson on court to, to, you know, to benefit you. So, I mean, every aspect is important. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Pete. (laughs) I have a lot, I have a lot of thoughts. Um, First of all, Rick's presentation was great. I listened to that. And one of the things that impressed me about Rick is uh, one year for TennisCon, I actually filmed him giving a lesson on the court to this girl, Bella. And as he gave the lesson, I was like just marveling. I'm like, this dude just gave like 150 tips in like a half hour. (laughs) And it went from like technical to a lot of mental, motivational. I mean, he, he did a lot of stuff. And the other thing that I wanted to point out was watching this last dance with Michael Jordan. He is rookie year. His team, they were kind of like a ragtag bunch of, for lack of a better word, losers. Right. And there was this one game where they were down by like 12 points going with like five minutes left in the game. And, and so the team just basically started to even talk about how like it's over. And Jordan looked at them like, it's not over. We're winning. And he basically put the whole team on his back and they won that game. There was another game where, uh, Doug Collins, who's the head, who was the head coach at one point, it was his first game and he was super nervous. He, he was drink. No, he wasn't drinking water. His mouth was all dry and had like dried up gum on it. And he was sweating like crazy. And Jordan came over to him and gave him a cup of water and, uh, said here, you know, wipe, wipe your face off. He's like, I'm not letting you lose your first game. You know, that kind of like never say die attitude is, is what we all need. Now, of course we don't have the talent of, of Michael Jordan, but that leads me to my next thing. I think it's that, but also why do some players who don't have really good strokes beat you? And I think you want to really realize this in your development and be aware of it. So you can kind of make an adjustment in the match and decide if you want to play the game that you're trying to get to, or you just want to outgrind them that day. A reason a lot of people don't have many good strokes in club tennis win so much is they don't have to think all the things that you're trying to do. Because most people who are here online, you're between that 3-5 to 4-0 level and you're trying to play the right way. You want nice strokes. You don't want to go out there and just poke the ball around. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here online. But a lot of club players who are have good hand-eye coordination, they're fine with that. They don't, they don't care to take private lessons. They don't care to improve their strokes. So they're just there making contact. And so there's very little that can go wrong. When you have good hand-eye coordination, you can just do this and the, the strings have a lot of energy in it, you can keep a lot of balls in play. And you're playing somebody who, like, 
is trying to get the right technique, but as Rick Macy says, isn't baked in. Like what, what Rick always talks about being baked in. What he means is it's on autopilot. It's correct. The, the uh, performer never has to think about it anymore. It just happens. That's where the pros are. They're in unconscious competence. They don't think, they just do. You're not there yet. So it's harder for you, even though you're a better player with better skills, it's harder for you to put it under pressure because you're here, you're here, but maybe your racket face opens sometime at the wrong point and then it flies or you, or you get a little nervous because you're having to think your way through strokes. So just realize that that's part of the equation. And so you shouldn't, it's okay if you're in a, a grind with somebody who has less skill than you because you're trying to do something that's harder than they're trying to do. And if you keep working at it, what eventually happens is you're like maybe here and they're and they're up here beating you and you can't believe it. And then you start to get up here with them and then you beat them, you grind it out. And then once your strokes get baked in, then it's like, they don't even see you anymore. They can't even call you on the phone anymore. That's how it happens. And I've seen that happen a lot in club players, especially the people who have the good attitude. Yeah, for sure, Pete, for sure. This is a really good question. Uh, thanks, Jeff. Uh, in, great, great interviews. Um, and uh, so a pilotaf says or asks what pro player impresses you the most with having a disciplined recovery mental attitude. And I want to challenge you, Pete, do you have anybody that you would name outside of the big four that impresses you? Nick Kyrgios. <laughs> That's right. Right. That's right. Like, it, like bro, I don't even know why it's playing tennis. In some, ways, in some ways it's not discipline, but yeah. in some ways, his attitude, his belief system, when he, when he like, when it's a two out of yeah. three, seven, sometimes he actually, you know, has that confidence where he has so many wins or a top 10, but that, that was a joke who has, well, you know, Medvedev, Medvedev, that dude is a fighter. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and he's got that winning attitude. Like when he started, when the crowd started to get on him, he basically took that crowd and he said, okay, guys, you guys just, just, uh, Egg me on to where I'm going to get to the finals. He says, I think he beat Feliciana Lopez. It's like, you know what? I was tired. I was injured. I didn't even really want to complete the match. When you guys started booing me, it gave me the incentive to win the match. And and what, and what now that you guys are like this with me now, I'm going to go all the way to the finals. Like, he called it. That was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, one person that I like, um, I haven't watched like a ton of him, but I like Alex de Menar. I mean, I just think that he's really gritty and he – What's that? Yes. Yeah, that's right. Speed Demon. Yeah, and he finds a way to win. And, you know, he's pumping himself up a lot. And, um, you know, that's a player who I think is very, mentally very strong, especially for the type of player that he is, where he doesn't have, like, any huge weapons, in my opinion, but he's just really able to outgrind a lot of players. And he has posted some impressive results. So um, I really like him. Sure. Uh, let's see. We got some really good comments. Paul Anacone is one of my favorite commentators. I definitely, for sure. Um, yeah, of course, uh, Zorana Djokovic. We were just trying to name some out of the top four, but I think, obviously, like, I mean, Nadal, <laughs> Djokovic, like, they're amazing. Yeah, you know, there. Djokovic is laughing, as we talked about, on match point down, you know, when he wins. It's, like, ridiculous. Um, the next one is by uh, Will Hamilton and the Bryan brothers, and this is actually similarly echoed by... I think it was GG too. I, but anyway, the point is that you can take control, um, you know, of the match, like in doubles, even as the server. So let's say if Pete and I are playing doubles 
and you know i'm playing at net and he's serving and maybe he feels like i'm not that great of a <laughs> that great of a net player or something or i have weak volleys or i'm timid with my volleys there's definitely things that you can be doing as a server to like try to help them out i mean first off you can make more first serves um, to decrease the chance that your opponent returner is going to rip it at your partner. Also, a great one is to serve T more and not wide. Um, let's just assume this is the, the deuce court um, because then it, they're more likely to, especially if they're righty, hit the backhand, back cross court. So then you're going to get the ball most likely. Another thing is simply to to just try to communicate with your partner and actually move them to a proper position. Tonique Robinson, us oldies serve lots of extreme spin serves. Is that something she, that you find, Pete? Yeah, I'm an oldie. I serve lots of extreme spin. You I, think, I think actually, you know, the players who can, the players who can win a lot more matches because, you know, as you get older, you can, if, if you have some real technical flaws, it actually doesn't take that much to, as long as you're, you know, healthy, even somebody in their 60s, 70s, they can actually easily add 10 to 20 miles an hour to their serve if they got some real technical leaks. But let's say if you've got a pretty good technique and you know it's not that the technique is holding you back, you're not going to add 20 miles an hour to your serve as opposed to when you were 20, You know, if you have decent technique. But what you can keep improving is that spin, that action on the ball, and, and the placement. So that's very true. Awesome. We did actually have a question which just popped in my head, and um, sorry if I can't find it to put it up here, but what do you think about the saber, so the uh, chip and charge on the serve? Uh, is that something that you recommend, Pete, as maybe like a, a once-in-a-while type of uh, play? And I'll give you my thoughts too. Uh, absolutely, and here, here's why. You know, we always want to be comparing our game to the pros and there's lots of emails like and i do it too and we all want to do it i want to do it too so i like still have this aspiration but it's like you know hit your forehand like fetter you know do this like that it's like we're not playing against novak Djokovic. when you hit an approach shot you're not approaching against novak Djokovic. you you so like i think the chip shot is way underused because you're watching the pros play and you want to approach like fetter but I think if you had a deadly slice forehand and backhand that skids and stays low, what's going to happen? It's going to be they're going to be passing you less, and you're going to get a lot of volleys right up here. And if you can get that, you should be able to put the volley away. Yeah, I like it. So Pete, yeah, I mean, similarly, you know, with, with uh, the chip and charge, I found it's it's a great play, um, and it surprises a lot of players. I mean, obviously, this is a skill that you need to practice. I mean, practice is the best time to practice. So, I mean, I know it's kind of weird to say that, but I mean, some people are really even scared of looking bad in practice. And sometimes you have to get used to committing to learning something, even if you're not going to necessarily be successful in the beginning. And that's what, what a lot of us have to do is commit to improving despite roadblocks. But anyway, um, yeah, I practiced the, the chip and charge uh, myself and doubles especially is, is great too. You know, like you're actually forcing them to hit up on the volley and that's wonderful for uh for feasting upon later on if you can execute it mm -hmm. um, Ooh, okay now we got some racket advice and uh gerald i highly suggest that you watch the session i did with alan iverson not the basketball player speaking of the bulls 
but um, from uh, a sales rep from Babolat. And we did like an hour and a half, basically question and answer session, which for gearheads, amazing. Probably worth the uh, price of the all access pass alone there. But Gerald asks, I am a coach who is playing with a Pro Staff 95S. What is a good upgrade head size replacement racket? Do you have any thoughts on that? So are, are you asking that you want to upgrade the head size to a different? Uh... No, do you have any thoughts on that, Pete? Well, it depends on, you know, the way he swings and everything. That's the style he has. He's, he's a coach. You know, he might like Federer moved up to a 98. He might like that. But, you know, I think it's one of the greatest things we have in our game is the whole demo program. I, I think I think you you listen to you. You you look at some rackets that you uh, think look cool or, or you've heard some good things about. And then you go on a demo program and you try a lot until you like it. And that's the coolest thing you can do. There's there's a lot of things in life you can't do that with, you know. Tennis must just be awesome because we guys we give you guys free access to the to this tennis summit. You can try rackets for free. Lots of stuff you can't do that. You can't go up and like, hey, I'm going to try that. I'll be taking this for a, you know, a couple of hours. I'll bring it back. Like, no, you got to pay for it. So um, take advantage of the demo program. Awesome. I just want to shout out to uh, Mike Mirachenko here. Uh, he's a very good. 5-0 player, stuff playing him. He gets so many balls back speaking about that mental fortitude and just will to win and passion for the game. Uh, I really like uh, Mike's passion there. So shout out to you. Um, okay, cool. So let's go to uh, to number nine, actually. Wow, we're already at nine. Okay. We're also already at an hour, too, which is ridiculous. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but we just, that's how much fun we have here. And I appreciate, uh, Paul, your, uh, sorry, Pete, your time. So then, number nine is uh, from Paul Anacon, which was mentioned, I think, by Linda and some others. It's a great session to check out. And if you didn't know, Paul has coached Pete Sampras, Roger Federer, uh, Sloan Stevens, Tim Henman, and he's coaching Taylor Fritz right now. So this is an incredible person to listen to, you know, on the summit. And uh, he's just got some great insights. He's a tennis channel commentator. So Paul talks about the importance of knowing your own game and then knowing your opponent's game and then focusing on the execution. And so I'll tell this story again because I think it's really important. You know, I played my very first college tennis match um, in a a Cornell Invitational, excuse me, and I played actually against a player from uh, who I used to play in juniors. And I was up against him 6-2-5-1, I believe. And what happened was at that point, I, I immediately thought about how cool it would be to win my very first college match. And as soon mm-hmm. as you think about the results, a lot of times you're going to freeze up. And that's what I did. Uh, funny enough, I even let one of his shots bounce. It was a floating shot on match point, And it floated out. And I didn't call it out. I don't know why, what what happened. Anyway, I lost the match. And when I came out of that um, with my head slumped down and my coach at the time uh, said, focus on the process, not the results. And so the thought process from Paul, which is really helpful right here, very actionable advice for when you go back on the court, is to um, first understand your own game. So your strength in your, in your we- strengths and weaknesses and then look at a couple areas of your opponents you want to attack. So you want to think, okay, how can I attack the backhand? Um, for example, even going deeper and more specific, how many points can I try to set up with me at the net, forcing my opponent to hit a backhand pass? 
So you're thinking about like setting up the points like this. You're visualizing the points. That's a huge thing too. I, I interviewed James Blake on the podcast and he was on my summits. Uh, I've been privileged to talk to him twice now. Or was it three times maybe? And so he talked about how he visualized how each point, uh, and this is in my free ebook actually that you get from joining the, the summit, uh, the number one secret. Uh, it's actually Tennis Secrets 2020. So anyway, he talks about visualizing and picturing um, each point and playing them in your mind because this helps reinforce, you know, if, if physiologically how you're going to actually set up the points and it helps a lot. And it's a big secret that also Rick Macy talked about as well. Well, Anacona's talked about, James Blake has talked about. Do you need more proof than that? So visualization, um, huge. Thank you, Pete, for reinforcing too. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, overall, you know, just want to focus on execution, not on the results, because once you focus on the results, then bad things usually happen. You know, I think it's fine to focus on results and goals, like when you're actually like planning out how your goals and everything, but especially once you're on the court, you don't want to do that. You know, you want to focus on uh, execution. Number 10 by Dean Hollingworth. Oh, he was good. He's awesome. Like I, I love him. And so we did a live workout uh, uh, on Saturday, I believe it was amazing. Many of you kept typing in this chat to keep punishing me. And so he did for like an hour. And uh, the main point of all of doing the workout of showing you, you know, me doing it live is to just show you how important it is to keep up with your fitness, especially in these times, because what we're very afraid of, what Dean has expressed, many people have expressed uh, in the tennis community uh, as coaches and trainers, is that once things open up, hopefully soon, there's going to be a lot of us who haven't been working out enough, and we're going to go out there not having done anything, not having worked on our fitness. We're going to mm. go out there. We're going to get so excited. Mm -hmm. We're going to play a full match and then we're going to get injured. I can guarantee you that this is going to happen, unfortunately. And this happened to me, you know, um, you know, I'm giving you advice here, but I, I'm constantly learning, making mistakes and then learning some more, implementing what I learned. And so, you know, back when I, you know, after I took the bar exam, which, uh, you know, is, you have to pass to become an attorney, uh, licensed in your state. Um, I was studying for three months straight. I didn't play much tennis. I didn't work out too much, a little bit. And then the next day after I took the bar exam, I just played, um, I played tennis for like two, three hours that day. And then I also did a double workout. So I worked out for an hour. I played tennis for like two or three hours and I worked out again and I got injured. So this is a little bit more maybe of an extreme example. But what I just want to tell you is that you need to not eat ice cream like Pete is doing and, and you need to focus on your workouts I want you to read to to watch carefully. I want you to write down some exercises that you think are going to be really good for your game. And I want you to create a workout for yourself. It doesn't have to be 15 exercises or whatever, but use the advice that is given in these sessions, pick out exercises, do them at least a few times a week. And it's, it's going to make a huge difference in your game. You're going to feel amazing. You're going to feel like you're accomplishing things. Um, you know, and, uh, it's going to be great for you. So eat your ice cream like Pete did, but also work on your fitness, work on your mobility, your flexibility. Fitness is huge. If you don't make time for fitness, then you're going to have to make time for the physio table. And I got that quote from Alistair McCaw, who was on my previous summits as well. And, um, I'm sure I'll be talking to him again soon. So fitness is huge. All right, I really hope you enjoyed this episode on the top 10 takeaways from Tennis Summit 2020. 
Uh, I personally think that these 10 pieces of advice, plus the answers that we gave to the questions that were posed, um, but especially the 10 pieces of advice were uh, really powerful and uh, you know, things that I obviously hold in very high regard, which is why I decided to share them uh, with you on this episode and on that live stream as well. So, and speaking of live streams, I'm going to be making a concerted effort to do more of them because I've found that that is something that a lot of you enjoyed. And so that will be really fun. And I'm also going to be trying to do some more video podcasts as well and, and perhaps live podcasts. So if any of those things interest you, just please uh, send me an email at mirabon at tennisfiles.com. But we might be getting a WTA Pro to do a either a live podcast or a video podcast or, yeah, something like that. But either way, uh, you know, I'll, I'm looking to get some some great guests on here in the future. And, yeah, I'm just really excited to be able to uh, provide content for you uh, and uh, whether or not you can play. There, there's always ways to improve. In fact, you know, as I mentioned during the top of the show, it's almost better for you in a sense that you are away from the court for a while, especially if you have some sort of technical flaws that you need to fix because it's really important to to really be practicing the proper swings and technique even without a ball to first nail that down in second, as second nature. And then you can proceed to start hitting the ball with drop feeding and then regular feeding and then some uh, practice sessions and then point play, then finally matches. So, uh, yeah, I'm really glad that you tuned in today. I really appreciate it. Appreciate all the support. And if you enjoyed this episode and if you enjoy hearing the Tennis Files podcast, and I would love it for you to, uh, I would love for you to um, rate the show and you can do that on your favorite podcast app of choice. I do find that the the uh, ratings on Apple Podcasts kind of move the needle, I guess, because that's the most popular platform. But, you know, whichever platform you use, uh, I definitely appreciate a rating. And it would give me great feedback as well to, to figure out uh, what I can improve upon and what you think about the show. So uh, here's a quote that I want to leave you with for this uh, episode, as I often love to do. This one is by unknown as far as I could tell. So if anyone actually knows who said this quote, let me know. But the quote is, there are seven days in the week and someday isn't one of them. And this is a very powerful quote because I think when we think about our goals, or our dreams, or uh, just things that we want to accomplish, sometimes we relegate them to someday or a non-precise timing. And I think it's really important for us to really block out time in our calendars to work on the things that we need to work on, whether that's tennis or anything else. And by putting a an exact day and also time slot, that's when we really start to get uh, granular, is that the word? But we really uh, start to get focused and disciplined and and to really take action on uh, what we're trying to accomplish. So definitely important to mark out a specific day and time on your calendar for your most important things, and that's something that's helped me a lot. All right, well, thanks a lot for tuning into this episode. I really hope that you enjoyed it. Any feedback, let me know. And uh, looking forward to some excellent 
interviews and uh, further episodes to help you improve your tennis game, any particular topics or anything, also let me know at Mirabon at tennisfiles.com. That's M-E-H-R-B-A-N, B as in boy, at tennisfiles.com. And um, in the meantime, I'm working on a lot of different improvements, uh, improvements to uh, my membership site, my website, and yeah, uh, more content, more planning out. So it's uh, definitely an exciting time and uh, it's great to, to have a lot more of you on my subscriber list uh, after the summit. So uh, it's an honor to be able to serve you and help you improve your game. So, all right, all the best and uh, be safe out there and inside as well. And we will see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. This is Mirban signing out. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.